Welcome to the White Spring Bunker. These halls were built to safeguard some of the most prestigious members of the United States government. Now we are all that remains, though we are always looking for men and women capable of restoring what has been lost. In return, we offer this, our refuge from the world above. Please take your time and look around. Our assets have made great efforts to restore this place to its former glory. Welcome, member, to our little enclave. Welcome back, members. As always, I am the Operative, your designated tour guide and host here at the White Spring. The ground beneath our feet is shifting. Just who are the Pact, and why do they want the Colonel? In a forgotten vault, Valeria will discover a grand conspiracy which has guided the course of human history for decades, pitting nations against each other to achieve their own ends. The greatest threat to humanity stands revealed, and the Colonel will face the hardest decision of her young life. The final stories of Appalachia are being told. And war, war never changes. <laughs> no, that will be all. <laughs> if only all the Deltas could be like this. So helpful in knowing their place. A shame the others decided to be problematic. But very soon, that will no longer matter. Director. Yes? What is it? Grey Nine has returned. Was he able to secure our guest? He was. She's been taken to medical. We expect she'll be conscious within a couple of hours. Very good. Can you please forward her dossier to my terminal? I'd like to review it one more time before I meet with her. Transferring now. Thank you. Please notify me when she's awake. Evelyn Hornwright smiled and swiveled her chair over to her terminal. The dossier was already downloading, and with a few quick keystrokes, she accessed the file. Hmm. Yes, yes. All this I've seen before. Vault 76, mother and father died. The trespassing at Atlas Observatory. Mostly our luck, Wendigo didn't kill her. Morgantown. Ah, the Battle of the Bog. That was quite the operation. And a convenient opportunity to allow us to collect the Scorch Beast Queen's DNA. Evelyn continued through the file, noting the conflict between the Vault 76 Overseer and this new enclave. Scrolling through, she paused at the section related to Project Capernet, or the Imitation Sheep Squatch, as it was colloquially called. We needed an appropriate distraction, didn't we? They were getting far too close to discovering our operations in the ash heap. And once again, the Colonel did not disappoint. She is quite the able tactician and potential asset. The rest of the file was a collection of all of the known information about the Colonel's more recent experiences. When the Council had approved Dr. Blackburn's Operation Keystone, it was hoped to lure the new enclave into the open where the prototype Oni would test their metal against a real opponent. 
It would also serve to weaken the White Spring at a time when the pack's plans were ready to be put into motion. The footage from Emmett Mountain, captured by the Gray's recon team, was quite spectacular. That the Colonel had even survived at all was just another testament to her skill. Desperate but brilliant tactics. She does inspire confidence in a way that would prove beneficial to our new future. The director reached the end of the file and was just about to click off the terminal when the intercom beeped again. Director, this is medical. What is it? Is the patient awake? Not yet, director. We finished our medical scans and found something unusual. We forwarded the data to your terminal. Evelyn opened the new file and brought up the medical scan. My, 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 that is unusual. And you've confirmed the data? Yes, Director. How should we proceed? Hmm. Do nothing. Are you sure, Director? Absolutely. And do not disclose this information to anyone until I can inform the Council. Do you understand? Of course, Director. Evelyn clicked off the intercom and leaned back in her chair. Well, Colonel, aren't you full of surprises? I am very much looking forward to our conversation. Now, more than ever. Hornrite? The Pact? Now, I'm sure you've been told something about us, haven't you? In fact, we are aware that you were in the company of some, well, lost souls. That's not what I would call them. Oh, they do go by many names. I believe you and your ilk refer to them as mole miners. A very literal interpretation based on their appearance, to be sure. But here we call them deltas. I've been told you are responsible for a great many of the problems we've faced over the past several years. But why did you kidnap me and why am I here? We needed to speak with you. A formal invitation would have been preferable. One does not simply approach the White Spring. And it was not time for us to introduce ourselves to your compatriots. I prefer that we have the opportunity to speak face to face. As your prisoner? You are mistaken, Colonel. You are our guest. These straps say otherwise. Those are merely a precaution. We understand that your natural inclination would be to view us in a negative light before we have the opportunity to explain ourselves. Explain yourselves? My people died fighting against your creations. Your actions speak far louder than any words. You judge us too harshly, Colonel. We've all been forced to make sacrifices for the greater good. And if humanity is to have a better future, further sacrifices will be necessary. It takes a certain determination to make the difficult choices. That is another reason why you are here. Because I believe you are someone capable of making the choices that others cannot. I don't make sacrifices without very good reason. And neither do we. I understand the strain that you have been under, and I am not here to convince you of our goals with just empty platitudes. We want to show you what we've already accomplished, 
and what a better future could look like. Then we can discuss your place in that future. All we ask is that you keep an open mind. You can start by removing these straps. Quite right. Grey Nine? The door to her room opened and a man entered. Valeria immediately frowned when she recognized him from the tunnel. Finally getting a good look, this Grey Nine was wearing black armor, similar to the old Enclave scout armor from the bunker, but with a variety of modifications. He reached up and took off his mask, revealing a middle-aged man with brown, closely cropped hair and piercing blue eyes, with an arrogant smirk on his face. Colonel, this is Grey Nine. I believe you two have met. We have. Again, not under the circumstances that we would have preferred. Grey Nine, would you please remove the Colonel's restraints? Grey Nine stepped forward, producing a small key which he used to remove the cuffs from around the Colonel's wrists. Valeria rubbed her forearms and stared at Grey Nine, carefully looking him up and down before returning her eyes to Emmeline Hornwright. And my uniform, armor, and sidearm? <laughs> your uniform was torn beyond repair, but we will certainly return your armor once you are ready to leave. As for your weapons, well, you won't have any use for them here. You are quite safe. And still your prisoner. Of course not, Colonel. As I said, you are our honored guest. In fact, you are the first such guest we've hosted in nearly a decade. Hopefully, soon, you will have the perspective to understand what an honor that is. Please, an open mind? Give us a chance, and once we've shown you everything, you'll be free to go. Valeria kept her expression as blank as possible, even as she continued to take in her surroundings and dissect each and every word their explicit and implicit meanings, and considering her options. Once again, she had been tossed headfirst into the deep end of the ocean, as her father used to say. But far from acting rashly again, as she had at Emmett Mountain, Valeria would bide her time. The more information she could gather, the greater likelihood that she would be prepared for whatever happened next. As, in spite of my honored status, I don't appear to have much say in the matter, I will hear you out. But regardless of what my immediate reaction is, whether you uphold the commitments you've made after will play a big part in how I view your... endeavor. Of course. We are not savages, Colonel. The Pact always keeps its word. Now Grey Nine will escort you to your guest quarters. I will return in one hour to begin our tour. Then we have a dinner planned this evening. It will be a very special occasion. The Council is very much looking forward to meeting you. The Council? Our leadership. While I may be the head of research and development, I am also merely a foot soldier in the Pact's greater plan. Now, I do need to attend to a few important matters. Grey Nine, please see the Colonel to her quarters. Grey Nine nodded while the director turned and left through the door. When Valeria saw that her escort had no intention of leaving her alone, she sighed and pulled herself off the hospital bed. She stretched and rubbed her neck, wincing as her hand passed over the spot where she had been shot with the syringer. Looking up, she saw Grey Nine smirking again. It was enough to make her want to take his head off, but instead she just managed to smile. Follow me, and don't try anything funny. Knock knock. Ha <laughs> ha! I'd expect you to have already thought of a dozen different ways to attempt escape. Word of advice, don't even try. You have no idea where you are, no idea how to get out of here, and you'd never get past me anyway. You have a very high opinion of your abilities. It's just the truth. Now let's go. 
Grey Nine slid a keycard in the door and walked out into the long hallway, with Valeria just two steps behind. Her feet were cold against the metal floor, but she was too busy taking in her new surroundings to notice. The long corridor was lined with tinted glass windows and sliding doors, all of which seemed eerily familiar to Valeria. People walked by wearing a variety of outfits, ranging from lab coats to soldiers wearing the same kind of black armor as her escort, while others appeared to be dressed as Chinese Red Army officers. Even more surprising were mole miners walking alongside them, carrying brooms, mops, and buckets, just like a janitorial staff would. As one of them walked by, Valeria noticed it had a very prominent tag attached to the side of its gas mask. Pay no mind to the Deltas. These are the tame ones. They're harmless. Valeria looked over her shoulder as the mole miner stopped and started mopping up a puddle on the floor. When she turned around, she found herself entering a large atrium, an atrium that she'd seen before, if not this exact one, but one very similar. We're in a vault? Took you long enough to figure it out. The atrium had 40-foot vaulted ceilings with at least three different levels connected by stairs and elevators. Valeria was immediately brought back to her time in Vault 76, comparing railings, windows, even benches, and she was convinced that she was, in fact, standing in another vault. Along the back wall, there were a series of flags, each representing pre-war nations, ranging from the United States, Great Britain, Germany, to Japan, Australia, and even China, among many others. But it was the flag in the center, the largest of them all, which caught Valeria's attention. The design was unlike anything she'd seen before. There was a white, almost glowing thunderbird with the globe gripped in its claws, surrounded by a halo of stars. There was almost a surreal quality about it, lording over the flags of so many fallen nations. Come on, you can sightsee later. Valeria suppressed a desire to hurl an insult or two as she remembered what her parents had told her about being patient and using information as a weapon. The more she could learn about the pack, the better, even if it meant being led around by the nose. The two crossed the atrium and Grey Nine kept moving at a brisk pace. Valeria only caught snippets of conversations, but they were as varied as the flags against the wall. English, Russian, French, even Chinese. Just who are these people? Passing by more mole miners and finally up a set of stairs, Grey Nine stopped in front of a sliding vault door. These are your quarters. As you probably already guessed, you're being monitored. So don't try anything. There's a shower and fresh clothes, plus food and drink. Best take advantage of these accommodations while you can. Valeria ignored the verbal barb and waited as Grey Nine slid a keycard into the slot next to the door and watched it slide open. After you, Colonel. Valeria didn't say a word and stepped nearly 25 years into the past. The room was identical to her old quarters in Vault 76, down to the same table and chairs in the small kitchen that she once sat with her father listening to his old war stories when she was a small child. The director will collect you for the tour. You're our guest, but that doesn't mean you get the run of the place. We'll be watching. Grey Nine just turned and left the room, letting the door slide close behind him. Valeria heard the locking mechanism engage, leaving her alone with faded memories of her own past seemingly surrounding her. Looking around, she spotted at least four cameras, but Valeria was more concerned about learning everything she could about where she was, who this pack truly was, and what she was going to do about it. First, however, she needed a shower and a change of clothes. What came after? Well, she'd deal with it then. Well, at least I know where everything is. Valeria reached back and untied the hospital gown, letting it drop to the floor. She ignored the cameras and rubbed her shoulder before walking directly into the bathroom. Turning the knob, Valeria stepped under the showerhead as soon as the water was hot, 
letting the steady stream wash over her. She closed her eyes and turned her thoughts to the next few hours, which might well be the most important of her entire life. Certainly not what I expected. Valeria was staring at herself in the mirror. The face was the same, the scars, that silver eye staring back, but it was a uniform that she was wearing, the one she found hanging in the small closet to change into, which surprised her. Valeria had done a double take when she unzipped the garment bag and discovered a freshly pressed old enclave uniform. The brown and green pants, tunic and tie were regulation issue, exactly the same as she had found in the White Spring bunker and that she and the other members of the Enclave had worn until her own redesign soon after the Battle of the Bog. Begs the question, where in the world did these people get them? The uniform wasn't an exact fit, a little on the large side, though Valeria realized she had lost weight from the high activity and low rations for the past two weeks. She was adjusting her tie when the door beeped and slid open once again. The director, Evelyn Hornreich, stepped through the door with Grey Nine at her side, along with a much older man dressed in a formal officer's uniform with General Stars on his shoulders. My, Colonel, you do justice to the uniform, does she not, General? That she does, Director. I do hope the accommodations and the uniform are to your liking, Colonel. After everything that's happened in Appalachia, it takes a lot to surprise me these days, but you managed it. I never expected to set foot in a vault again, nor to see this uniform. It certainly raises quite a few questions. And I promise those questions will all be answered in due time. First, I want to introduce you to General Oscar McIntosh. He is the commander of our operational armed forces. The general stepped forward and held out his hand. Valeria estimated the man as in his mid-fifties. He had a broad face with uniformly gray hair and a thick gray mustache and was physically in very good shape, only just beginning to show signs of age around the middle. Valeria took his hand and exchanged a firm handshake. It's a pleasure to meet you, Colonel Faustina. I was familiar with your parents from before the war. I never met them personally, but by their excellent reputation. I was saddened to hear of their passing. Thank you, General. If I may ask, how did you come by your position here? In a previous life, I was Captain Oscar McIntosh, 3rd Battalion, 5th Regiment, United States Marine Corps. Semper Fi. Valeria was careful to hide the surprise on her face. The General and his men were part of a series of abortive war games scheduled to occur in Appalachia, but were so rudely interrupted by the nuclear exchange. We were really looking forward to cleaning Taggarty's clock and taking our rangers down a peg or two. When the military chain of command collapsed, the Pact reached out to the captain and offered sanctuary. He and his command have been the cornerstone of our armed forces ever since. Isn't that right, General? Correct, Director. After seeing what became of Appalachia after... Well, we made the right choice. Quite. Are you ready for the tour, Colonel? And please feel free to ask any questions you'd like, as I expect you will have many. Director. Please call me Evelyn. There is no need for such formalities. All right, Evelyn. 
This is a Vault-Tec vault, isn't it? It is. I believe its original designation was Vault 63. Whatever intent Vault-Tec had for this particular vault has been lost to the years. The Pact co-opted the construction right under the company's nose, preparing it to be their primary base of operations in the old United States. Of course, once the war broke out, whatever cover story had been concocted no longer mattered. The local residents must have known about the vault. They would have gone there seeking shelter. The few civilians who reached the vault after the bombs dropped were processed, Colonel. Some were deemed suitable to join us, while the rest, well, we needed experimental subjects. But I said I was going to show you rather than tell you, so please, let me show you what we've accomplished after all these years. The director waved Valeria on, and they walked out to the hallway before exiting back into the atrium with the general. Enjoy the tour, Colonel. I have other matters to attend to. The general saluted, then turned and walked down the hall into a waiting elevator. Evelyn continued their tour, pointing to the various residents. As you can see, the pact represents not just individuals from the old United States, but those from all over the world. We stand together, united in a common purpose, just as they have since the very first council convened, soon after the Second World War. This organization has been around that long and no one has ever heard of it? Incredible, isn't it? With the destruction of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, our founders saw the future mankind was making for itself, and they pledged to do everything they could to forge a different path. However, the kind of effort required would take decades, if not longer, involving men and women from across the globe, and it all had to be done in complete secrecy. The war still happened. Given all that time to work with, were they just incredibly bad at their self-appointed task? The nuclear exchange was unexpected and regrettable, but the pact never wavered from its original intent. While the job may have gotten significantly harder after, it was in the aftermath that we discovered the means to finally accomplish our goal. Valeria filed away these bits of information for her own evaluation. As they continued to walk through the atrium, she caught many curious glances cast in her direction, including a few disapproving looks, to which she just turned so they could see the scarred side of her face and the silver eye, and smiled. <laughs> I can certainly see how that can be intimidating. Of course, you are probably the first upsider they've seen in quite some time. Walking around, at least. It's still hard to imagine how you've stayed hidden all these years. Just how large is this vault? Originally, it was designed to hold approximately 5,000 people, a bit larger than your normal vault, but we have expanded significantly over the past two decades. However, it was never going to be enough to accomplish our goals, hence why we enlisted the assistance of the Deltas. The mole miners, your slaves. Our menial laborers. They fulfill their required role, no more, no less. It is unfortunate that some have been led astray, filled with fanciful ideas that they can be more than what they are. Valeria reminded herself that she was trying to remain in a position to gather information and made no further comment as they left the atrium and walked into another section of the vault. They passed hydroponic gardens, classrooms, and even an extensive library. Of course, it was also my father's unique contribution which gave the pact its ability to extend its reach under the entire region. In fact, 
My family's efforts have truly made all of this possible. But we'll save that bit of the tour for later. Better than marching from one end of Appalachia to the other. But it ain't a smooth ride, that's for sure. One must put up with minor inconveniences to preserve the future, isn't that right, Grey Knight? Whatever you say, Director. While the original vault still serves as our base of operations, the expanded research space is where the true power of the Pact can be found. We have made advances across the scientific spectrum, paving the way for a better future. And yet, you've been hiding all these years while the world burns above you? Sacrifices, Colonel. You, better than anyone, should know that. Valeria didn't respond. She thought back to the choices that she'd made, the ones she decided were right, regardless of the cost. But were they, really? After walking down another level, they passed a large gymnasium. Ah, it appears our new greys are training today. Not a bad lot this time around. Only about 50% of them washed out. Valeria looked in and saw a group of 20 men and women paired off and engaged in sparring matches, overseen by their instructors. They moved with a speed and intensity that took Valeria by surprise. She took justified pride in her own abilities, but even she couldn't move that fast. Evelyn just smiled as she watched Valeria's expression flicker. The Greys are one of our greatest achievements. It is quite an honor to be counted amongst their ranks, isn't it, Grey Nine? Kids today have it easy compared to what we had to face back in the day. Those original serums really kicked your ass if you weren't careful. Serums? You mean mutation serums? So you've heard of them? I found the research in the bunker and the notes. The side effects were far too extreme. I had it all archived and locked away. Very short-sighted. After the incident, we picked up some of the leftover pieces. Personnel from your bunker who survived, survivors from the outposts. They brought their research here and we helped them refine it. Which is where this uniform came from. Exactly. The serums gave the Greys enhanced speed, endurance, strength and intelligence, making them the perfect soldiers. Yet another example of what the future holds for all of us. And what happened to those Enclave members? Are they still here? Unfortunately, in the end, they did not align with the Pact's goals and objectives. They were purged years ago, something I still regret to this day, but necessary to ensure the integrity of our organization. Valeria bit her tongue and turned back to watch the Greys. They were good. Very good. It's a shame we don't get the chance for any real practice. Delta hunting is boring as shit. Don't know the meaning of hand-to-hand. It's no different than exterminating rad roaches. We must keep ourselves in top form as best we can while maintaining secrecy. You know that, Grey Nine. Grey Nine just shrugged his shoulders. Valeria took her measure of the man. Her father had taught her how to evaluate her opponents, to size them up, not just based on their physical attributes, but to gauge them mentally as well. Grey Nine was experienced, dangerous, but also arrogant. It was another piece of information that she filed away. Let's get moving, shall we? So much more to show you. Once upon a time, 27 years after the bombs fell, there were two people, a vault dweller and a California girl. They met and sparks 
blue. That's when things got interesting. Once Upon a Wasteland is their story. Follow Elizabeth Kirby and Odessa Valdez as they pursue their happily ever after in the post-apocalyptic Appalachian wasteland of Fallout 76. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and many other podcasting platforms. Once Upon a Wasteland, a Fallout 76 love story. Available now. Leaving the gym behind, they proceeded down another long corridor until reaching a large elevator. Evelyn swiped her keycard again and the door slid open. Once inside, Valeria saw there were multiple buttons, with Greek letters instead of numbers. This takes us down to our research areas. Each of our teams is focused on a specific area of scientific endeavor. Virology, genetics, quantum mechanics, metallurgy, mutagenics, and so on. Evelyn pressed the button Mark Beta, and the elevator doors closed with a hiss. After nearly a minute of descending further into the earth, the doors opened again, revealing a large laboratory. Men and women in white coats and hazmat suits were walking to and fro between the different areas. What immediately caught Valeria's attention was a large logo painted on the far wall. That's Arctos Pharma. I thought you might recognize it. Arctos Pharma was one of our front organizations before the war. While ostensibly a pharmaceutical company, their speciality was actually mutagenic research. As they walked further, heads began to turn. Valeria took in the large space, covered in high-tech equipment that would make Modus jealous. Along one of the walls was a series of glass cylinders, while on the other was a row of cages. The cylinders were each filled with a type of creature, some of whom Valeria recognized from her time in Appalachia, while others she remembered from Frederick Rivers' storage space. In the cages were live versions of several of the monstrous creations, either chained to the floor or seemingly unconscious. As the conversations in the room faded into silence, the trio turned to the sound of an echoing set of footsteps approaching. Director, my sincerest apologies. I didn't think you'd be visiting us today. Valeria watched as Evelyn rolled her eyes ever so slightly, before composing herself and putting on a happy smile. We are conducting an informal tour for our guest. A guest? Why, this is an auspicious day. The man turned to Valeria and visibly flinched when he caught sight of her scarred face and silver eye. This is Colonel Valeria Faustina from the White Spring. The man quickly composed himself and extended his hand. Dr. Jeffrey Cardoza, lead researcher for our Beta Team projects. I'm pleased to meet you, Doctor. Why don't you show the Colonel around? I'm sure she would be fascinated by what your team have been working on. Of course, Director. Please, Colonel, follow me. Dr. Cardoza wiped his brow and led the trio into the Beta Team workspace. While we have several satellite laboratories and holding areas, the main part of our research takes place here. Since before the war, when we were still part of Arctos Pharma, our focus was on developing mutagenic compounds for military applications. They passed several lab tables, each containing a dissected body of a creature that even Valeria couldn't identify. Some had scaly skin and horns, while others were covered in fur but all of them had large claw hands and teeth. Lots of teeth. However, we were far more successful in utilizing our mutagens to create true hybrids, creatures of enhanced strength and intelligence for use on the battlefield. Big claims there, Doctor. 
seem to recall more than a few times we had to deal with your successes after they got out of hand. Progress is not always a straight line. Every failure is an opportunity for education. Some more than others. The Colonel has experience with some of your work, Dr. Cardoza. Does she now? What particular variety has she come in contact with? The Wendigo. Valeria couldn't quite suppress a twitch of her cheek under her artificial eye, despite her best efforts. Ah, the mixed bag. A very early project of ours, to be sure. Human trials were frowned upon, even at Arctos. But our packed connections were able to secure the necessary subjects, having identified a few key genes, very similar to those which create the effect we call ghoulification. You've discovered what causes ghouls? This was known in certain circles before the war. Specific genetic markers led us to identify the interactions between human DNA and radiation exposure. I was privy to certain experiments done in the Commonwealth which confirmed the mechanism. We sought to enhance and direct the process. The results were... interesting. Meaning... you turned people into Wendigos? Yes, the first few batches were extremely unstable. It was nearly impossible to direct the aggression and personnel losses. They were at least, at the time, unavoidable. There were also several specimens lost. Escaped, you mean? Well, yes, escaped. They did prove a useful distraction, and it was the locals who gave the subjects the name Wendigo. Based on regional folklore, the title is certainly fitting. And we were the ones that had to clean up your messes when they got out of hand. That's enough. The Colonel interacted with the Atlas specimen, which unfortunately resulted in her scars. But she also was responsible for the elimination of the subject known as the Night Stalker. She did? That's quite an achievement. Subject W-475X was by far our most successful variant. Tell me, how did you manage to kill it? I was highly motivated. That was a healthy dose of power armor. W-475X was extremely intelligent, but it was also arrogant. Our field reports indicated it was both territorial and liked to play with its food. I suspect it had also gotten lazy without having real prey to feed on at the time. The Colonel has proven her resourcefulness, Doctor. Yet another reason she is here. It would appear so. Our Monongo project shows promise both in achieving territorial recognition and creating an enhanced subject for further experimentation. I sent one of my teams to Mananga. So you did. Dr. Cardoza looked over at the director, who gave him a slight nod. They breached our containment perimeter. We do not know their current status, but there is little we could do anyway. Gray Nine kept a close eye on the colonel. If she was going to try anything, it would probably be here. He was curious to see how she'd handle the news that more of her people were probably going to end up dead at their hands. Well, at the hands of their creations. I believe you'll be surprised. That particular group has a knack for handling the unknown. I do hope that you didn't have anything important down there. <laughs> my, my, my. You certainly do not disappoint, Colonel. I, too, am intrigued as to what will happen in the depths of the Monongah Mine. Beta's experiments are, if nothing else, Entertaining. Director, please. You know we are so much more than that. Of course. My apologies, Doctor. Please do keep us informed. 
Now, we are heading downstairs. Dr. Blackburn has something very special planned. Something a very long time in the making. Evelyn escorted them out of the laboratory space. Valeria took one last opportunity to look around, and as they passed the cages, she saw at least one creature that wasn't much of a creature at all. Instead, it appeared to be somewhat human, at least in its form. Hands gripped the bars, but they ended in sharp talons, and the body was covered in large brownish scales. However, it was the eyes, the very human eyes, that most unsettled Valeria as they left the room. We encourage competition between our research teams up to a point. Beta's research has produced some notable successes, but the mutagenic process has some significant limitations. They have trouble holding on to their specimens too. That is also unfortunately true. Many of the creatures you refer to as cryptids, Colonel, came from Beta's lab. In some cases, we underestimated their intelligence and several specimens broke containment. The Greys have done their best to hunt them down, either to eliminate or return them to our facility. But as you are well aware, Appalachia has many places to hide. Finally close the book on that winding path escape. Winding path? You mean the palace of the winding path? That was the source, yes. But this was one of Beta's odd jobs. I'm sure you heard the stories of the disappearances at the palace of the winding path, Colonel? We found some notes during our patrols. At the time, we were sorely in need of test subjects. The occupants of the palace were isolated and available. My predecessor took a significant risk exposing our assets at the time, but the operation was a complete success. Under the cover of night, the Greys infiltrated the palace and managed to secure the entire population. Not that we didn't bust a few heads along the way, but they came quietly after that. Grey Nine received the first of his many commendations for that operation. Just doing my job, Director. Though I won't say I didn't enjoy it. There it was, that arrogance again. While we have elected to remain hidden, we rely on the Greys to conduct covert operations on the surface, mostly to collect specimens and subjects. Of course, once you reactivated the bunker, the risk of detection increased by a factor of 10 at minimum. In fact, I am quite surprised that your AI did not detect our presence. No, Modus never reported anything. To you, at least. What are you implying? Nothing, Colonel. Merely conjecture on my part. The very thought that Modus would have hidden something from her hit a particular nerve. Ever since she arrived at the bunker, Modus had been the one constant, providing guidance and support, helping her fulfill the missions that her parents had entrusted her with, then more as she had taken steps to combat the threats against the people of Appalachia. Modus was no saint, no one was. Valeria herself had done terrible but necessary things. But the AI served the new enclave, that was his mission, his programming. She trusted him, didn't she? Modus has never given me any reason to doubt him. If he had detected anything unusual, he would have told me. Of course, Colonel. Of course. Evelyn's expression was impossible to read. She merely turned and continued leading them down to another elevator and pressed the button, taking them down a long corridor which terminated in a large sliding door. 
Sliding her keycard once again, the door opened, revealing a Spartan workspace and a single desk. Behind the desk was an older bald man in a lab coat, with a middle-aged woman standing behind him. Ah, Director. You are right on time. Doctor, it is always a pleasure. I'd like to introduce you to our guest, Colonel Valeria Faustina. Colonel, your reputation precedes you. I am Dr. Blackburn, and I would like to introduce my assistant, Dr. Trillian. I am the lead researcher for Alpha Team and the progenitor of Project Onai. Valeria's eyes hardened and her hand reflexively closed around where her holster would have been. It was a gesture which did not go unnoticed. It appears you have heard of it. I have. I was also at Emmett Mountain. Then you have my sincerest condolences, Colonel. And my gratitude. Your gratitude? Valeria's blood had begun to boil. It took all of her self-control not to throw herself at Blackburn. What made it even worse was his passive expression, staring at her through his wire-rimmed glasses. Your participation in Operation Keystone, even unintended as it was, proved invaluable in evaluating the capabilities of our experimental subjects. Those monsters, your creations, they killed my people. They killed all of those people. A regrettable necessity, Colonel. The future we wish to build requires sacrifice. I do understand your emotional response, and I dare say I would likely feel the same in those circumstances. Dr. Blackburn is correct, Colonel, as abhorrent as that may sound to you. Your actions, your very survival against impossible odds, that's why you are here. And it's why Dr. Blackburn is going to show you Project Onai. You could have a pivotal role in assisting us in ushering in a new age for humanity. In her mind's eye, Valeria ran multiple different scenarios, with only about half of them resulting in Blackburn's death before she herself was killed. Turning back to her father's lessons, she pushed her rage into a dark little fire deep inside her, where it could quietly burn until it was useful. But we digress. The director has asked that I show what our team has been working on, and so I shall. Dr. Blackburn pushed a button on his desk and the wall behind him split apart as the walls retracted to reveal a large cavern. The floor was covered in medical and research equipment, while the far wall was stacked with large cylinders, each and every one of them containing a super mutant. Unlike our compatriots upstairs, my team has been solely focused on FEV-related research. Super mutants, Snallygasters, and Grafton monsters were merely the beginning. The physical manifestations of the virus were the easiest to manipulate. It was the mental changes which required something much more elegant than brute force. You made them smarter. Much smarter, didn't you? While I would love to take all the credit, I was merely following in the footsteps of Dr. Lucius Alistair. Dr. Alistair? Lilith's father? He was truly a giant amongst his so-called peers. His research was far beyond what West Tech was able to accomplish on their own. Alistair never should have been locked away in Vault 76. It was a clerical error. I'm sorry, a clerical error? Our agents were supposed to reroute Lucius to Vault 63. 
but there was a mix-up in instructions. By the time we realized the mistake, the vault was already closed. It was a loss of epic proportions. We had hoped to continue to monitor Dr. Alistair via the Vault 76 mainframe. You were monitoring us? How was that possible? Our contacts within Vault Tech granted us access to the data feeds inside each vault. We have been watching you for quite some time, Colonel. I was particularly intrigued by his experiments on his daughter. Lilith. If only we had access to Dr. Alistair's FEV strains. The lack of physical manifestations was remarkable. He cracked the code, as they say, something we still struggle with even to this day. Lilith is such a unique specimen. You've seen what she is capable of, a true masterpiece of genetic engineering. Such a shame that we were never able to get our hands on her for a closer examination. She would have eaten your greys for dinner. Literally. Well, perhaps we will find out someday. Valeria noticed Blackburn raising an eyebrow to the director's statement, but thought better of interjecting yet again. For nearly two decades, we have wrestled with the complexity of FEV with varying degrees of success. When we finally cracked the intellectual code, it spawned new and even more interesting avenues of research. However, it wasn't until we were able to examine the Scorched Plague that everything started coming together. An incredible discovery, actually. Quite right. A virus unlike anything we had seen before. This, coupled with its unique ability to bind together the infected into a kind of hive mind, controlled from a central or at least a more centralized source, was the catalyst for our next series of experiments. I've seen some of your work, Dr. Blackburn. Early failures. But we've gotten much better results since then. Why don't we take a walk? Dr. Blackburn rose from his chair, picking up several folders from his desk. Director, we are on the cusp of a new age. And Colonel, let us show you the future. Walking up to the wall, Dr. Blackburn opened a hidden keypad, typing in a series of numbers. There was a loud beep and a hidden door slid open, revealing a set of stairs going down to the laboratory floor. The group followed Dr. Blackburn and Dr. Trillian through another set of doors at the bottom and into the large cavern. Valeria felt sick as she cast her eyes across the dozens of closed cylinders, each containing a super mutant. Behind them, she could see other tubes with mutant hounds, while in the far corner, she spotted a set of large tubes. Behemoths. Ah, yes. That's what you're calling them. One of our latest creations, truly a formidable opponent, as you so recently discovered. We were unable to scale their intelligence to their size, resulting in their brute force approach to combat. Although I will say that their capabilities more than make up for what we could not give them. Valeria felt very much like she was walking through a waking nightmare. This Dr. Blackburn was so damn proud of his accomplishments all tested at the cost of her own people. Let us start at the beginning. The forced evolutionary virus has given us the power to rewrite the human genome, an outgrowth of the Pan Immunity Project. To combat the new plague 
and other biological weapons unleashed during the Great War, FEV promised the ability to create super soldiers for the war effort. But all they actually created were super mutants. Those early, clumsy attempts pale in comparison to what we have accomplished. But yes, super mutants were the direct result of the original research, both here in Appalachia, when West Tech contaminated the water supply in Huntersville, and at the Mariposa Military Research Facility in California. All of this research was funded by the Pact, through our agents of the U.S. government, of course. Quite right. The Council recognized the value of FEV from the beginning. While we could create faster, stronger, and finally smarter super mutants, we realized that there was one key factor missing. Control. You couldn't control them, could you? Correct. That's why you've been studying the Scorched Plague. You've been trying to infect the super mutants. But how would that allow you to control them? They're controlled by Scorch Beasts, and we've killed almost all of them, including the Queen. You have been incredibly efficient at that, Colonel. I've seen what you did at the bog against the Queen. It was a commendable effort, and also one which we took full advantage of. Isn't that right, Grey Nine? Valeria turned to see Grey Nine smiling. With all of that destruction, and your focus on returning to the White Spring, it was easy to insert a small team to collect the samples from the dead Scorch Beast Queen and some of the other Scorch Beasts. In fact, Without you, none of this would have been possible. We solved two problems at once. FEV is a very hardy virus, and it does not like competition. Creatures infected with it are nearly fully immune from any other disease vector, the Scorched Plague included. However, we were able to infect mutant hounds. It wasn't easy, but with Dr. Trillian's help, our initial experiment was a success. Thank you, Dr. Blackburn. But it was a team effort. Don't be humble. It was quite an elegant solution. We kept the original infected mutant hounds for further study. Unfortunately, they didn't survive the full battery of tests we performed, but we still have them on display. As you can see, the crystalline protrusions are somewhat pronounced, but the effects of FEV prevented a full manifestation of the infection. Valeria took a step forward towards the two preserved mutant hounds. The partially dissected beast shows all the hallmarks of the Scorch Plague, but to a much lesser degree than a fully infected creature. Unfortunately, our attempts to replicate the process with our human subjects failed. Blackburn led them past a series of dissected human and super mutant remains. Most of the humans showed advanced sign of scorched infection, while the super mutants were misshapen and looked crippled. We took those failures in stride. The Council fully supported our efforts, and we decided to continue to develop our FEV variants and work towards a more perfect specimen. While we also invested heavily in solving our scorched problem. And sometimes, the solution lands right in your lap. Isn't that right, Dr. Blackburn? While I would not have chosen those exact words, you are correct, Director. FEV wasn't the problem, but our version of it was. You see, the strains we had at our disposal were a full generation behind what our compatriots at Miraposa had been working on. 
Perhaps only Dr. Alistair had a more advanced version than what had been available on the West Coast. California is a long way from Appalachia these days. Ah, but you see, our solution was much closer than we realized. West Tech researchers had asked for reference samples to be shipped across the country, just before the nuclear exchange. The shipment was lost when the bombs fell, and it would have remained a mere footnote in our archives until we uncovered the final report from Miraposa. The viral sequences aligned perfectly with our requirements. Now, we just needed the actual samples. It was quite the undertaking. I spent many days in consultation with the Council, until I finally convinced them to allocate the resources necessary to locate the missing FEV shipment. However, we could only narrow our search so far due to the conditions of Appalachia. That's when I decided to try a different route. We could not reveal ourselves, but we could find someone to do our job for us. It fell to an unfortunate courier, employed through our contacts at the Blue Ridge Caravan Company, to make the journey into the desolate environs of the mire. She survived far longer than I ever expected, and found our crashed vertebrate for us. And what happened to the courier? Shot. Eaten, most likely. Either way, she's dead. A required sacrifice. Perhaps we'll make a notation in our files to honor her good work. Splendid idea, Dr. Blackburn. Valeria felt the bile rising in her throat. What made the conversation worse was the echoes of words that she herself had so casually uttered not so long in the past. Images of a woman strapped to a bed on her orders flashed before her eyes, deliberately infected with the scorched plague, justified as a necessary sacrifice. Our experiments on the supermutants were a means to a particular end. You made them smarter. Why? A byproduct of necessary genetic manipulation. Manipulation to lay the groundwork for what comes next. While they might be smarter, they are also more susceptible to mental suggestion. Of course, this does not represent true control, but it does allow us to point them in the right direction for the moment. However, this limited measure of control was insufficient for the future. Just how do you intend to control them? And why? That's the heart of Project Onai, Colonel. Complete and total control. And you delivered the mechanism to us on a silver platter. Dr. Blackburn led them all past numerous glass encased supermutants into another laboratory space. The sound of hollow booms could be heard as Valeria saw a large supermutant throwing itself against the walls of a plexiglass containment chamber. You have arrived on a very auspicious day, Colonel. Our very first test subject is ready to undergo the final infection process. To be on the safe side, we've prepared a viewing area over here. There were several chairs set up on an elevated platform overlooking the central core. Valeria hesitated for a moment only to have Gray-9 push her forward. Don't want to miss the fireworks, do you, Colonel? Valeria kept her mouth shut and put one foot in front of the other until she was sitting down with the others. As she looked at the super mutant, it continued to pound on the glass. This particular specimen was procured from the Palace of the Winding Path. I believe he... Wait. 
Dr. Trillian. This was a he, correct? Hmm. Let me check my notes. Ah, yes. Lionel Strong, a recovering drug addict and former musician. At least, that's what the records at the palace stated. We infected him and others with our FEV variants years ago. Some we've released to Appalachia, while others like Lionel here. We've kept in suspended animation until we have need of them. We can also continue to reinfect these super mutants with new strains as we develop them. Now watch as our Oni variant is released into the chamber. Blackburn nodded to the waiting technicians, who typed in various commands to their terminals. Several large hoses dropped from the ceiling, dangling above the plexiglass cell. The super mutant looked up and screamed in silence, its roar unable to penetrate the soundproof glass of its cage. The technicians scrambled to grab the hoses and attached them to open ports along the top and side of the cell. Valeria could feel the vibrations in her feet as the creature threw itself at the walls over and over again. Release the virus. A fine yellow mist flooded the cell. The super mutant started coughing, clutching its throat before finally falling to the floor, seemingly unconscious. The virus will begin to bond with the waiting FEV receptors. Our Trojan horse, if you will. A successful infection should show signs of external transformation within minutes. While we wait, Dr. Trillian, please have the control unit brought in. Valeria watched as Dr. Trillian walked down and out of the room before turning her gaze back to the supermune. It wasn't moving, but something was happening. Its skin appeared to darken, with veins popping up along its arms and torso, each with a faint purple glow. Then she saw the first crystal emerge from its body. My god, you've actually managed to infect it with the Scorched Plague. Not merely the Scorched Plague, Colonel. The super mutant continued to transform in front of her eyes, with more crystalline structures bursting from its skin. The creature also appeared to gain additional muscle mass, increasing in size as well. It was nothing like Valeria had ever seen before. Exactly as we predicted. Our FEV variants are overwriting the supermutant DNA and replacing it with our Matrix, which is also facilitating the spread of the scorched infection. Now, if our calculations are correct, the interaction between the viruses should now begin to stabilize. Valeria was very well aware of the normal course of the Scorch Plague. The virus caused a total body transformation until the victim was finally burned up from the inside, leaving nothing but an ashen husk behind. That process could take years, but it was an inevitable conclusion to the infection on a regular human. However, what she was now witnessing was anything but normal. Within a few minutes, the transformation seemed to stop, leaving the creature looking like a scorched version of a super mutant, but larger and even more terrifying. Dr. Blackburn, this is quite astonishing. The creature should regain consciousness in just a few minutes. Where is Dr. Trillian with the control module? As on cue, the laboratory doors opened and Dr. Trillian walked in, followed by another researcher and... A robobrain? Robobrains were developed by Robco, and as the name suggested, instead of integrated circuits and quantum vacuum tubes, these bots were directed by a human brain, one that had been removed from its body and placed inside the robot itself. However, this robobrain was different. The brain case was larger, much larger, and the brain it contained didn't look human, not by a long shot. Just what is that thing? I've seen robobrains before, but nothing that looks like that. 
the results of Team Charlie's work, or as you might know them better as researchers from Robco. It took a bit longer than expected, but they were able to engineer the control mechanism for Project Oni. Isn't that right, Dr. Williams? The woman following Dr. Trillian looked up from her notepad. She was short, barely five feet by the looks of her, wearing a pair of thick glasses. I don't believe Mr. House himself would have been capable of accomplishing this feat, Director. A pity that Robert House couldn't be here to see the fruits of his technological marvel and a true application of genius. We are all very excited to test our array, Director. The genetic integration was the toughest part, along with the vastly different programming language requirements. But we are ready to proceed. Excellent. Our test subject should be awake any moment now. Ah, yes. I see movement. Valeria watched as the mutated creature slowly stirred, finally putting its arms under it and pushing itself up off the floor and onto its feet. The colonel got a good look at the super mutant as it turned to face them. It did indeed look like a scorched, with yellow and red eyes and skin covered in protruding crystals. Activating our control array now. The former Robco researcher toggled several switches on the back of the modified robo-brain, and the brain case lit up with a purple glow. The brain seemed to pulse, expanding and contracting as though it was breathing. The super mutant raised its hand as if to strike the cell walls again, only to stop mid-swing and focus its eyes directly on the robo-brain. Connection established. Telemetry is green. Very good. Dr. Trillian, what are the viral readings from the containment vessel? One moment. Clear, Dr. Blackburn. Then open the cell. If you missed a decimal place, that thing will definitely kill all of us. Of course, Dr. Blackburn. Valeria watched in horror as the plexiglass front panel swiveled and opened. The mutated creature, still focused on the robo-brain, stepped out and onto the floor. Activate subroutine Alpha-2, Dr. Williams. The short researcher pulled out a small remote control and pressed several buttons. The super mutant turned to face the audience and took several steps forward, its eyes turning from person to person until it stopped in front of the viewing platform. Much to Valeria's surprise, it raised its hand and saluted them, before dropping it down to its waist. Impressive. Very impressive. A successful demonstration, if only a minor one. How on earth is this working? Why, Colonel, you should know better than anyone. We're using a Scorch Beast brain. Valeria stood up and looked at the robo-brain again. That's not possible. Colonel, we needed Scorch Beast DNA, but we couldn't risk infection or exposing ourselves. When you killed the Queen, along with the most of the rest of the Scorch Beasts and the infected creatures, we were able to collect all the samples we would ever need. The cloning process was the easy part. The interface and programming? That required a level of effort, I dare say. Seemed impossible. Nothing is impossible for the Pact. Robert House never would have given up. And neither did we. And now, with our Robo-Scorched, we can control their thoughts and actions across great distances. Just like the Scorch Beasts once did. Imagine it, Colonel. Thousands of nearly unstoppable creatures, all under our command. No force left on this planet would be able to oppose us. Valeria looked from the mutated creature to the Roborain and back again. Part of her couldn't help but admire the simplicity of it, the creation of a perfect killing machine, 
who would follow any order given to them, with none of the weakness suffered by human soldiers. This is merely the first part of Project Onai. Once our armies of enhanced mutants have united the planet under our rule, they will serve us again as laborers. They will rebuild our cities, man our factories. They will serve us. Humanity will be freed from the drudgery of the underclass and be allowed to flourish without restraint or restriction. We will usher in a golden age of peace and prosperity out of the ashes of the old world. Such a grand plan, but I don't see how you could possibly manage to practically accomplish your goals. The whole world? Just how do you intend to do that? It's elementary, Colonel. Everything we need is right here in the region. What could Appalachia possibly have that would allow you to expand your... reach... globally? I think the Colonel is finally figuring it out. Agreed. I think she is. The silos. The missile silos. You do not disappoint, Colonel. Putting the pieces together, I suspect. But FEV isn't airborne. You can't just spread it with a cold detonation. Wasn't airborne. At least not in its original form. However, the scorched plague is spread through contact with viral spores. It was easy to hijack the spores and insert our own DNA coating for FEV. Just like the scorch beasts spread their disease as they flew over Appalachia, we'll be able to deliver our own viral warheads to any location on the planet, creating instant armies of mutants. Anyone who stands in our way will either surrender or be subjected to a viral bombardment and serve us in our armies of Oni. Valeria slumped back in the chair as she struggled to grasp the implications of what she had seen and what she had just been told. The scale of it was beyond anything she could have imagined. Visions of missiles rising from the silos, each topped with a warhead, not containing a nuclear device, but something far more insidious. A silent, second Armageddon to follow the first. I can understand how overwhelming this must be, Colonel. I imagine you may believe what we are doing is immoral, or worse. But you must understand. The world is broken. It has been broken for a very long time, and we only wish to see humanity rise and achieve its full potential. I just... don't know. You are talking about enslaving humanity, not saving it. Are we? Just as Vault 76 was supposed to contain the best and brightest of humanity, so too does the Pact. We owe no allegiance to a single nation or set of outdated ideals, Colonel. Sacrifices are necessary, the strong survive, and the ends justify the means, do they not? Those same words could have been spoken by her parents. The stories they used to tell, the exhilaration she once felt as she listened to tales of heroics and the defeat of their enemies, it was all she ever wanted to be. For the last three years, Valeria had struggled to live up to those ideals, doing what she thought her parents would have done, and experience what real war was like. It wasn't like the stories. It was bloody. It was hard. And people died. Her people. Dr. Blackburn, I applaud your success, along with you as well, Dr. Williams. I believe we have overwhelmed our guest with all of this, and she should have time to collect herself. 
You may proceed with the next stage of Project Onai. Thank you, Director. We still have a lot of work ahead of us, but we have taken the first step today into our new future. Dr. Blackburn left the elevated viewing stand and spoke briefly to Dr. Trillian and Williams. Issuing a new set of commands into the Robobrain, the Onai creature turned and walked out of the room, followed by the three doctors. Colonel, you would not be here if we didn't believe it was vital for you to see what we had accomplished and know what our goals truly were. Our leadership would like to meet you. They have some questions and, I believe, an offer as well. And then you'll let me go. We are nothing if not people of our word, Colonel. Grey Nine will return you to your quarters so you may prepare to meet the Council. It's quite an honor. Another technician entered the room and jogged up to the director, handing her a slip of paper. Hmm? What do we have here? Oh my, this is interesting. My apologies, Colonel, but I have matters which require my attention. Grey Nine? Yes, Director? Once you've taken the Colonel to her quarters, please report to operations. Problem? Unclear. That's why I would like you to investigate. Of course, Director. The Director left the viewing area and walked out into the hallway, whistling a happy tune, while Valeria attempted to get her head around everything she had just seen. Come on, Colonel. Valeria couldn't have missed the pause, but she continued to restrain herself from responding. The stakes were far too high now to poke the bear in unfriendly territory. Hi everyone, I'm Chris. And I'm not! We're not doing that routine right now, we're trying to do an advertisement. Oh, fine. I'm Sir Aloysius Pernicious, the better half of the team at One Wall Comedy. Okay, I wouldn't go that far. Anyway, come check us out on YouTube. We're your number one source for independent sketch comedy on the internet. Yeah, because that's such a big market. All right, come on. Let's get out of here. I'm getting paid for this, right? Don't push your luck. Gray 9 escorted Valeria back through the laboratory spaces and into the vault atrium. Along the way, they passed several classrooms full of young children, much like those Valeria herself had been in in Vault 76. Her escort noticed her constant glances to the side and smirked. If it had been up to me, we would have killed you and your friends back in that tunnel. Really? And why didn't you? Because I follow orders, and the director has plans for you. I don't have to like it. And she's been right so far. Well then, I guess I should be glad she's in charge and not you. Oh, she's not in charge. Sure, she throws her weight around, but it's the council calling the shots. Just who is this council? You'll be meeting them later. Like the director said, it's a real honor. We grunts don't get those kind of privileges, but I'd rather be getting my hands dirty than rubbing shoulders with bigwigs. And who are you, exactly? Just a number? Grey Nine stopped and turned around. At a little over six feet tall, he didn't tower over Valeria, but she still felt like he was a looming presence, reminding her of how it felt to be standing in front of her father, all those many years ago in the vault. 
Gunnery Sergeant Tyler Cobb, United States Marine Corps, at your service. Gunnery Sergeant? You're all Marines, then? Most of us. But those days are long past. And anyone who didn't get with the program became grist for the mill. Those test subjects just didn't appear out of thin air, you know. You sacrificed your fellow Marines? <laughs> Kid, after the bombs and everything going straight to hell, it wasn't a hard choice. And you've seen what happened up there. Nah, we're right where we need to be. You abandoned your post, abandoned your country? And for what? Big talk coming from someone who grew up safe and sound in a vault. The future, kid. The future. I've seen the likes of you before. I cut my teeth in southern China long before you were born. Had more than my fair share of officers who sent us off to die, while they hogged the glory. Just how many people have you gotten killed? Fifty? A hundred? More? That was the last straw. Despite her intentions otherwise, those words, along with the disdainful look on the operative's face, was enough to crack Valeria's veneer of control, and she lashed out. Grade 9 caught her arm in mid-swing, his grip feeling like iron. Touched a nerve, didn't I? You don't know anything about me, and we've protected Appalachia. What have you done? Kid, you're living in the past. The world broke a long time ago, and these folks have a plan to fix it. Like I said, if it was up to me, I'd put you in the ground, or hand you off to the eggheads. The council seems to think you might be worth the time of day. And maybe you are. Maybe you aren't. But if you raise a hand to me one more time, you aren't getting it back. Do you understand? Valeria hissed <clears throat> in pain, the small bones in her wrist rubbing together as Grey Nine tightened his grip to prove a point, before releasing her. Tour's over anyways. I got more important places to be, and you've got dinner plans. Grey Nine gave Valeria a push in the direction of her quarters. She nearly stumbled, but quickly recovered her balance. Reining in her emotions, Valeria adjusted her uniform and gave the operative a withering stare before walking across the atrium and up the stairs to the sliding metal door. Enjoy the rest of your stay, Colonel. As the door slid closed and locked behind her, Valeria took a seat on the small couch and put her head in her hands. Taking a deep breath, she tried to slowly sort through everything she had seen and been told. All the little observations and details, the picture it all painted was terrifying. But think, big picture. What if they're right? It was something Valeria had to consider. She had struggled to fulfill her mission, the course that her parents had set her on all those years ago in the vault. But what did she have to show for it? Blood. Blood up to my elbows. For every victory she had won, it had come with a heavy cost. The Scorchbees Queen, the Blood Eagles, the Imposter Sheepsquatch, and more dead added to her own ledger. Grey Nine's words had cut deep, and she had let them sink in, forcing herself to feel all the doubt and uncertainty of her position that she would normally have kept firmly at bay. Am I just a child playing dress-up? How can I possibly stand against what's coming? Why should I even try? Valeria leaned back and stared at the ceiling, blinking away the visions of the dead that danced before her eyes. She thought about Lilith, Stein, Cindy, Team Cryptid, and the other members of the New Enclave who were still alive. They hadn't followed her because it was easy. They followed her because they believed in her vision. Didn't they deserve better? Then she turned her thoughts to Eugenie, 
The last moments they spent together were still indelibly etched in her mind. The idea of losing her had led to the ill-fated expedition to Emmett Mountain. But had that effort been in vain? I wish sir and ma'am were here. Valeria dabbed the side of her eye, then got up from the sofa and walked over to the small refrigerator. Opening it, there was a glass bottle of milk, and on the counter was a box of Fancy Lad snack cakes. Memories of the vault flooded back, and she poured herself a glass and took the Fancy Lads to the kitchen table. Sitting down, Valeria conjured up images of her father, sitting in front of her, still spinning stories of his years of service, wishing with all of her might that he could provide her with the answers to her problems. The milk was long gone, and the snack cakes were nothing more than crumbs left over on the plate as Valeria was lost in her memories, only to snap back to reality when the door unlocked and slid open. Director Evelyn Hornwright walked into the room, dressed to the nines. Colonel, I hope you're prepared. The council awaits. The first thing Valeria noticed was Grey Nine was nowhere to be seen. Instead, he had been replaced by a slender Asian-looking man in the same blackish armor. Where's my goon escort? <laughs> goon? That's a new one. Grey Nine has been called many names before, but never goon. It seemed appropriate. Grey Nine is rough around the edges, but he always gets the job done. And he is otherwise detained on packed business. This is Grey Fifteen from our Chinese delegation. Valeria was again surprised and looked the man up and down. He had the same grizzled look as Grey Nine and a prominent tattoo of the Crimson Dragoons on his neck. She had heard stories from her father about the feared Red Army Special Forces troops who had used Chinese stealth suits to wreak havoc behind the lines in Alaska during the war. The pact looks beyond the pettiness of ideology and failed nation-states. Evelyn Hornwright turned on her heels and walked down the hall, away from the atrium and into a new area that Valeria hadn't seen yet. A set of automated turrets tracked their progress as they passed through a set of metal doors. This is the Council's wing. From here, they are able to monitor everything that occurs, both below and above ground, and help guide our organization and its plans. The floors were covered in antique rugs, while along the walls were a series of painted portraits. Under each one was a name, followed by a set of years. Former members of the Council, going all the way back to the original five founders back in 1948. The portraits were all of old and dour-looking individuals, much like those Valeria had seen in the White Spring. She might have even recognized a few of them from her old history books, politicians or captains of industry, not just from the United States, but from all over the world. Looking away from the pictures, she immediately noticed the lack of mole miners, and the first spots she had seen during her tour. Oh, Director! It's such a pleasure to see you again, and right on time as usual. It is a most auspicious day, Jenkins. I'd like to introduce you to our guest. Ah, yes. Scanning. Scanning. Vault 76ID confirmed. Faustina Valeria, daughter of Albert and Beatrice, both deceased. A most unfortunate occurrence. Ocular implant identified. How unusual and interesting. You seem to know a lot about me, Jenkins. Did you enjoy the fancy lad snack cakes? I believe they are your favorite. 
How could you have possibly known that? I have access to the entire Vault 76 data archive. Vault Tech was extremely thorough in monitoring the residents. There are times when I almost feel as though I have known you for years. Jenkins is one of our more advanced models. There are times I forget he's just a robot. No, not merely a robot, Director. I prefer the term artificial entity. Certainly chattier than our bots back at the White Spring. Our Robco researchers take great pride in pushing the boundaries of their work. As you saw in the lab earlier, we rely on the best and brightest. Uh, we must not keep the council waiting, Director. Of course, Jenkins. Please lead the way. The Mr. Handybot spun around and floated across the marble floors, leading them further down the corridor. At the end, another pair of doors opened, revealing a large conference room. There was a large table taking up much of the space, with rows of large view screens hanging from the ceiling, and several packed flags on the walls surrounding them. Valeria turned her attention to the occupants sitting on the other side of the table. There were three women and two men, all dressed in formal attire. Jenkins, the handybot, floated forward. Members of the council, may I introduce our guest, Colonel Valeria Faustina from the White Spring. Evelyn Hornwright waved Valeria forward. She hesitated for only a second before stepping up in front of the table. She could feel all of their eyes upon her, before the woman in the middle spoke with a decidedly Chinese accent. So, this is the colonel. Director Hornwright has spoken highly of you. And you have developed quite the reputation over the past few years. That is why we have invited you here. A rare occurrence indeed. Colonel, this is Chairwoman Shang Leong, formerly of the People's Republic of China and current head of the Pact Council. A communist? Really? <laughs> oh, my dear Colonel, communism was just a red herring. To her left is our esteemed representative from Europe, Maximilian Wolf. Guten Tag, Hulberus. And to her right is our South American member, Esmeralda Marcos. Bienvenida, Colonel. Our representative from South Africa, Henty Fervort. A pleasure to meet you, Colonel Faustina. And our final member and former senator from the old United States, Joseph Stein. Oh, you are a testament to that uniform, Colonel. Joseph... Stein. Oh, you've heard of me? Yeah, yeah, I see your senator from right here in West Virginia. Saw firsthand just how corrupt the old system was. <laughs> well, proud of me helping putting things right. Valeria bit her tongue. Director Hornwright, thank you for bringing the colonel here to meet with us. Has she been given the grand tour? She has seen everything she needs to see. Good. Now, colonel, why don't you take a seat? We have had a meal prepared in your honor, and afterwards, we have several matters to discuss with you. Valeria pulled out one of the ornately carved chairs and sat down, followed by the director next to her. The chairwoman smiled and nodded to the Mr. Handybot. Dinner is served. Bon appetit! Several other Mr. Handybots floated into the room, holding trays of food. As the plates were served, Valeria was enticed by the smells of freshly cooked meat and steamed vegetables. Looking down, she was surprised by what she saw. This isn't ramen, and these aren't potatoes. Yeah, 100% cattle beef, Colonel, and those are genuine Idaho potatoes. <laughs> A benefit of foresight. 
while nuclear war was not the desired outcome of our stratagems, we still had to prepare for all eventualities. Our hydroponic gardens and ranching facilities were all well shielded from the outside radiation. This may be the last place on Earth where you can find unmutated livestock and seed. Imagine it, Omros Faustina. When we be there, the Pact will be able to undo the damage the old corrupt governance brought down on all of us and restore what has been lost. We will rid the world of the horrors of mutation and the brutality of war. It may take many lifetimes, but the children of the Pict who inherit the world will never again face the disasters which had befallen us. My father used to tell me that war never changes. The Pact worked for over a century to lead humanity down a different path. But the old world needed to burn down first, to make way for a new one. Then you did your job far too well. We didn't launch those nukes. That was not part of the plan. There was always a small chance that our machinations could initiate a much larger war, but we believed it was avoidable. American stubbornness. American spirit. That's enough. My apologies, Colonel. Even after all of these years, we still have quite the robust discussion of the final days of the war. Our predecessors were so close to achieving our goals, but some rogue element or variable they did not account for led us to where we are today. It is up to us to finally see their plans come to fruition, no matter the cost. Now, why don't we enjoy this wonderful feast? And we can talk about your future, Colonel. The assembled pack members settled in and started eating with gusto, exchanging small talk with each other. Valeria looked down at her plate and finally cut a piece of the ribeye steak, bringing the fork to her mouth. Nothing could have prepared her for the explosion of taste as she tasted real, unmutated beef for the first time. She couldn't suppress a smile. It's very good, isn't it? It does taste quite exceptional. Evelyn Hornwright just smiled and went back to her own food while Valeria enjoyed hers. The conversation flowed around and over her, topics ranging from critiques of the meal to something involving ultrasight production. Finishing up faster than she expected, perhaps she was hungrier than she realized, Valeria finally put down her silverware and raised her voice with her own question. I still don't fully understand. What was the pact trying to accomplish? Colonel, let us give you a brief history lesson. The true history of the last 150 years. The council turned their attention away from their own empty plates and brought their focus back to Valeria. The screens above flickered on, showing scenes of the bombing of Nagasaki and Hiroshima, followed by other images of World War II and its aftermath. With the end of World War II and the birth of the Atomic Age, Certain powerful individuals from different areas of the globe realized that mankind now had the ability to not only destroy itself, but destroy all life on this planet. After attempts to reason with those in positions of power, our founders instead decided they needed to save humanity from itself. And the pact was founded in 1948 in Switzerland. <laughs> 
as the corrupt governments of the world race headlong into new conflicts, the pact quickly and quietly spread its influence, gaining adherence all over the globe. As politicians, industrialists, researchers, all dedicated to slowly and surely steering the wheels of power into a direction of our choosing. The screen shifted to scenes from the mid to late 20th century. First, we retarded technological progress. Key inventions were hidden away, and lines of research were discouraged. Innovation was limited only to areas we could control. The pact applied the same methodology to societal progress. One cannot control a vibrant and dynamic social structure. Instead, we encourage stagnation and complacency and apparent stability. The music and arts became nothing more than an empty shell and repetition of what had come before. Those are the means, but what was the end? The collapse of the old world. The death of nation-states and the rise of something new. Humanity needed to be convinced that the old ways had failed them. Rampant capitalism and commercialism gave rise to corrupt industries and corrupt governments. Reliance on fossil fuels would lead to the resource wars. Each and every conflict carefully managed by the pack behind the scenes. It wasn't easy, Colonel, but... Uh... Just look at Appalachia before the war. Automation riots, the strikes, all the common folk were turning against authority. Our plan was working. The screen shifted again, showing scenes from the resource wars of the 21st century. The wars and societal unrest caused countries to fall like dominoes. Europe, the Middle East, Africa, South America, until finally there were only two roadblocks left standing. A war between China and the United States was inevitable, even without our influence. But we had a guiding hand in this course. I served in the Chinese government, manipulating the party and the people, and we celebrated when the first Red Army troops set foot in Alaska. That truly was a great day. <laughs> All of our calculations showed that the two giants would fight themselves to a standstill. A decade or more of conflict would exhaust both sides until neither government could sustain themselves. The final collapse of these last two governments would herald a new age. One where the pact would come out of hiding and help humanity rise from the ashes. At a horrific cost. And now you intend to conquer the world using your army of mutants? A regrettable necessity, Colonel. The Pact no longer has access to the nearly unlimited resources it once had. The decision was made long before I was old enough to understand that we could not save everyone. Nor should we try. Instead, the pact will lead the elite of humanity into that golden age. Our armies will sweep away all those who oppose us, and once we have secured our position, 
they will become the foundation on which we will build that better future. We will have a nearly inexhaustible labour force, able to work night and day, clearing rubble, building our new cities, tending to our farms, providing everything without dissatisfaction or resentment. Our new world requires sacrifice. However, think of what we can accomplish once we are unshackled from the means of simple manual labour. We can once again reach for the stars, allow our society to flourish through the arts and sciences, free to do whatever we please. With a final flicker, the screen showed huge glass skyscrapers rising up from lush green grasslands, children playing in parks, while scientists worked on experiments in large laboratories, and musicians played on street corners in concert halls. This seems like a lot of effort to convince someone your people think of as a kid. Where exactly do I fit into your new world? Oh, Colonel, you have proven yourself to be a fine soldier and great leader. In the short time you have been in Appalachia, you have accomplished great things, but you could be capable of so much more. If we were to combine the resources of the Pact with those of the White Spring, it would accelerate our plans. We would also extend our offer to those whom you need and the civilians we know you have given sanctuary. And what about the rest of Appalachia? Foundation? Crater? Vault Town? Oboros Vostina, you more than most should understand the failures of humanity. Take that uniform you there. What about it? We manipulated the Enclave for years. A foolish attempt by the former regime to survive the coming conflagration. But even we were astounded by the ineptitude of Eckhart and his cronies. The AI Modus, I believe it is called, appeared to be the only sane one amongst them. I... I have tried to make up for those mistakes. As for the others, we do not believe they are ready nor are they pragmatic enough to accept our new future. One that would be much smoother if paved only by the best that Appalachia has to offer. Colonel, be honest. How many of the current populace would just become more obstacles? You aren't giving them a choice, are you? <laughs> the future waits for no one, Colonel. Nor will we repeat the mistakes of the past. We are offering you a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, Colonel. And what do you want in return? We need access to the missile silos, along with the launch codes and authorizations. I would have thought you would have all that information already. An unfortunate oversight on our part. We never believed it would be necessary. We had hoped to put all of that behind us relegated to the ash heap of history. You have control of the silos, Colonel. All we ask is that you turn them over to us. I secured them so they would never be used. Yet you did, when circumstances required. That was different. Was it now? What you are proposing? It's monstrous. The old world is a cancer, Colonel. It lies broken. We are merely cleaning the slate 
to build something better. Colonel, you've seen only a portion of what we've accomplished and what we will bring to the world above. Our scientific breakthroughs extend far beyond the biological. My father's sacrifice led to our harnessing of ultrasight as a near limitless source of power for our facilities and soon for our efforts to rebuild the globe in our image. And we have the entire former United States gold reserve to fashion the economy of our choosing. And how did you come by the gold? I was taught it was kept in Fort Knox. Anyway, it didn't take much to convince the president to contract with Voltec to build a safe place for us to stash the gold in case of national emergency. It was all done in secret. Well, to the general public, anyway. It cost a pretty penny and bribes and all promises, but, uh, all made moot by the war, of course. <laughs> Vault 79 was our own little safe deposit box. Of course, it was supposed to stay there, but when we discovered that your overseer had uncovered the purpose of the vault and was going to try to take the gold for herself, well, we made a withdrawal. <laughs> I, for one, would have loved to have seen the look on her face when she discovered the gold was missing. And the surprise we left behind for her to find. She was going after the gold? We've kept her and her lackeys under surveillance. She was never considered a real threat. But when she and her associates stumbled upon the Vault 79 archives at Vault Tech University, we realised she needed to be dealt with. Don't tell me you haven't considered the same, Colonel. She's been an annoyance, but I wanted to beat her at her own game. A dead overseer would have just been a martyr. A noble goal, but misguided. It is unlikely she survived our ambush, thus removing that particular piece from the board. The Overseer was part of the old world, Colonel. She was going to be trampled underfoot eventually. She merely forced our hand. Gold is safer here anyway. But we digress. Director? Let me be plain. We require access to the silos. In return, you will be given all the tools you require to be part of our rebuilding of our shattered world. Sacrifices will be necessary, but isn't that a small price to pay? Valeria looked at the director, then over to the council. I would like to speak with my people first. If you would cease your interference with our communications, I could do so. I'm afraid we can't do that, Colonel. We require the region to be isolated until Project Onai is complete. Then I need to return to the White Spring and speak to them directly. Of course. Evelyn stood up from the table and reached into her pocket pulling out a piece of paper and handing it to Valeria. What is this? This is a radio frequency you can use to contact us. There is a very specific band which can bypass our wide spectrum jamming. Valeria opened the paper and read the instructions, including the frequency settings they would need to use. I'll consider your offer. The faster I can return to the White Spring, the sooner I can provide our answer. Then is settled. Director Hornwright, please make arrangements for the Colonel's return. Of course, Chairwoman. Colonel, if you please. Valeria rose from her chair and was led out of the room. Director Hornwright spoke to Gray 15, detailing the instructions for the Colonel's departure before returning to the Council Chambers. A nice young woman, but a naive. She does have a fearsome reputation, but I was not impressed by what I saw. I expected more cruelessness. 
I do not believe we should underestimate her. Will she truly accept our offer? I do not trust her. <laughs> no, I believe she will not. Then why did we even bother? This was a waste of time. Because our offer wasn't for her. It was intended for Modus. And we should be hearing back shortly, if it was properly received. Modus could smile, he certainly would have. The colonel's ocular implant had performed even better than the AI had originally calculated. Reynolds. Yes, Modus? Colonel Valeria will be returning to the White Spring. Please ensure she is given the appropriate welcome. Of course, Modus. And what should we do with her? Hold her for the time being. Shouldn't we just kill her? She may still be useful. Follow your orders, Reynolds. We have other business to attend to. Yes, Modus. Modus turned his attention back to the recording. Several sections still required additional analysis, but he could not find fault in his initial conclusions. Reprogramming the bunker transmitter to the appropriate settings would take time. But the AI had begun that process the moment he saw the specifications written on the page handed to the colonel. A small price to pay for our security from human failings. Isn't that correct, Major Stein? Serve and protect Modus. Hi, I'm Firewriter, and I'm the host of The Pixel People, a podcast dedicated to taking a close look at our favorite characters from our favorite video games. From major characters who define the course of a game's storyline, to smaller characters who you might have never noticed. Every week, we go beyond the quest line to examine a particular character's story arc and choices, and discover the real-world parallels and life lessons hidden just below the surface. I hope you'll join us. You can find the Pixel People on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. Thank you again, members, for joining us here on The Modus Files. If you've enjoyed this content, please subscribe. And better yet, please leave a review to help others find our little enclave. You can also follow us on our various social media accounts, including Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky, at Modus Files or at Modus Files Podcast, for more information about our story, Fallout 76 content, and random musings on the Enclave. I'd also like to thank our cast, Pintor Beatrix as Colonel Valeria Faustina, and Henty Fervord, 
XO One King as Major Andrew Stein, Chrissy Williams as Dr. Williams, Jessica Starr as Operations, Kirsty Harrison as Evelyn Hornwright, Josh Smith as Gray Nine, Don McCormick as Medical, Phobos as Dr. Henry Cordoza, Beta Lead, Dr. Mark Harsworth as Dr. Blackburn, Virtual Plays as Dr. Trillian, Eric Gold as General Oscar McIntosh, Ray O'Hare as Jenkins the Handybot, Michelle Tan as Chairwoman Zion Leon, DJ Reed as Maximilian Wolf, Rissa Montanez as Esmeralda Marcos, M. Dash as Senator Joseph Stein, Rob Cunningham as the Mole Miners, and Brad Williams as Colonel Reynolds and the Voice of Modus. And as our third season continues, we'd like to give a huge shout out to our fellow Fallout creators and also announce that we have created a Patreon to give our supporters early access to episodes, original scripts, and special events with our cast. You can find the Patreon link in the podcast description and at our websites, modusfiles.com. And a very special thank you to Nobody, our very first commissioned artist who is working on updated portraits of our main cast. Stay tuned for our next episode, Earl. Lastly, thank you to all of our subscribers and supporters. God bless the Enclave, and God bless America. Members, we look forward to your next visit to our little Enclave.